Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel, because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey, Car Wash Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Matt DeWolf. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Car Wash, the podcast. I am your host, Matt DeWolf, Editor-in-Chief of Car Wash Magazine. Look, we've been talking a lot in recent months and years, almost really at this point, about the tremendous growth in this industry and how crazy it really is um, in terms of the organizations that are popping up and the amount of um, car wash locations that are both uh, blowing up out of individual brands and those that are starting to become part of these major car wash platforms. And so we're going to continue that conversation a little bit with you all today. Uh, we are um, fortunate to have Andy Augustini on the show. He is a VP of operations for Magnolia Wash Holdings, which is one of these platforms that has sprung up. And they've had a tremendous track record here in the last uh, year or two years, really, from uh, growing from about 17 locations in 2020. Um, I, I said two years, it doesn't really count because it's, it's only the first part of 2022, uh, but from 2020 to 2021, one year time span of 17 to 52 plus locations. So pretty amazing growth. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. So welcome uh, to the program here, Andy. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. I mean, this is pretty, this is pretty exciting. I have to admit, um, you guys have grown so fast. You were not on anybody's radar. So, so I, I don't know if I should say congratulations. That that yep. what? what was that? I said, I don't know if I should say congratulations for not, you know, for getting on the radar. I mean, you maybe don't want to be on my radar. Yeah, no. Um, listen, I, I think this was a very excited opportunity. I don't think we originally anticipated to grow this fast, but as you know, uh, this industry is, is ripe for consolidation. And so we really took advantage of that and we pretty much hit our three-year target in one year. So very excited about the growth we've seen. Yeah, let's let's just reiterate that for folks. You hit your three-year target in one year. Yep. So it's it's no small miracle uh, that you're still on the you know the right side of the dirt that they like to say, right? You're alive. You're still here. <laughs> you, you, We're still here. Yep. Your families are mostly intact. I hope, and everything is everything is good. Yes. <laughs> good. Yes. Good. And a lot of work. Um, my wife loves the fact that every time we're we're on a, a road trip that I have to stop and see the local car wash, but she's getting used to it. Yeah, yeah. Everybody comes along, right? They get yes. they get they get on the program here. Um, yeah. Before we get too far into this conversation, I want to back up because uh, I want folks to understand a little bit about your background and where you came from. So, uh, can you just kind of give us the the ten thousand foot version of um, where you were before car washing and what was it that drew you here? Yeah, so most of my background has been in uh, large multi-unit retail. Um, I worked a lot with uh, Family Dollar here in Charlotte uh, prior to them merging with Dollar Tree. And then I also worked with Driven Brands, um, who I'm sure you guys are very familiar with, uh, recently acquired ICWG. So um, while I was with them, I was mostly focused on the repair and maintenance side of things. So working with their brands like Meineke and, and Take Five. Um, however, after the ICWG acquisition, um, I definitely learned a little bit more about the industry and um, knew it was a very hot market to be in, lots of consolidation happening. Um, so it was right around that time where I got presented with an opportunity um, from a, a private equity firm to basically uh, join their, their operations and, and management team to really kind of build this company from the ground up, you know, starting with a strong foundation of our original seven sites. Um, by the time I joined, we were up to 17 
kind of building out the infrastructure, the support model, the operating model, the staffing plan to really kind of accelerate um, into that growth space. So that's pretty much how I got here and um, somewhat green of the industry, but I've really wrapped my head around it. I'm very passionate about it now that I've been in the space for over a year. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty um, trial by fire introduction. I mean, they basically said, Hey, Andy, uh, you should do this car wash thing here, go out and acquire lots and lots of locations and try to operationalize that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Easy. And, and yeah, yeah. Easy. <laughs> and, you know, again, thinking through our, our growth plan, a lot of it was around the greenfield space. Um, however, I think once we really started uh, diving into the operations and starting to our establish, uh, establish ourselves, that's really when I think a lot of the acquisition opportunities start presenting itself. So we kind of shifted our model to focus heavily on acquisitions uh, while we were kind of building out that that greenfield strategy. Yeah, I, re- I mean, I really like that approach because you were all you all were able to kind of um, build up a pretty strong base. And frankly, you can start to see things you like and things you dislike before you get too far down this greenfield uh, opportunity. And now you guys are at a point where those greenfields are going to start uh, bearing fruit. Um, that, you know, it's going to start producing for you and you have this, this strong foundation of acquisition. So it really kind of set you guys up for some quick success. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk, let's talk about, um, how this kind of growth happened and, and that accelerated track for you all, because we're, I want to know, like, is there something you were targeting as you were going out at these locations? Is there some, some recipe here or were you just, um, finding good opportunities and, and, and whatever that is, could you help define that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, you know, taking a a step back, um, we really wanted to focus on the Southeast quadrant. We knew that's kind of our our bread and butter. And um, through uh, the leadership team's experience, um, we know the the market very well. Um, So we knew we always wanted to stay in the Southeast and we knew we always wanted to use acquisitions as kind of an infill strategy. So basically we knew key areas that we wanted to have from a greenfield strategy, but how do we quickly get to scale and how do we basically plant some of those flags? Well, that's really where the acquisition plays um, come in. So I think a lot of it stemmed from our strong foundation with the original founders. Um, so Frank Bennett and uh, Brooks Moy uh, really um, built themselves a strong reputation within the industry. Um, they started out with the, the Camel and Wave brand. Um, so from there, it was kind of just uh, referrals um, through their relationships. And then from there, it was kind of a snowball effect. So we got through a couple of these deals, um, you know, starting with the the first acquisition that we had, it was a 10 site deal that got us up to the 17 sites prior to, I guess, Magnolia really um, being established. But after that, we had a, a small two site deal. And then uh, shortly thereafter, there was a couple smaller acquisitions that came into play. And, and that's really, I think, when we started to build a reputation of um, really kind of uh, looking at the, the best interest uh, of the sellers. Uh, their employees. At the end of the day, we all know that this is a family business for a, a lot of individuals, and we take pride in that. Um, so we want to make sure that as part of our acquisition strategy, we are going above and beyond to um, serve the employees, serve the customers, and kind of retain that strong brand that these sellers have already established within those markets. So, okay, so you you sort of answered my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think there's mm-hmm. probably more to it. Um you know, I, I talked a little bit about it as we were kicking off the, the show today. This industry has been growing very quickly. Um, and a big part of that is platforms like Magnolia um, starting to pop up and starting to kind of um, really accelerate that consolidation effort. What 
do you think it is about Magnolia that um, that is maybe different from any of the other platforms out there that folks might see? Yeah. So um, like I touched on earlier, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the the combined experience of, of our leadership team, as well as the original founders, um, even to our, our, our field team who have been in this industry for, uh, you know, decades in some cases. And so we've really kind of built that, that reputation, not only at the site level um, for the customers, but also, you know, at the, the higher level with, with Magnolia. And so um, obviously there was a big push uh, in 2021, you know, that I think there was um, concerns about the tax revisions and things like that. So obviously there was a big push um, for certain individuals to get out of the space. But um, again, what I think really separates us um, from other players is that uh, we make the process very easy, very seamless for the sellers. Um, we are not big on bureaucracy or red tape or anything like that. So um, we really want to kind of cater to their needs throughout the entire journey. Um, again, ensuring that we're going to take care of your business. We're not there to simply go in and slash headcount, slash, uh, you know, compensation and basically re-leverage the business. That's not our model, right? So when we look at our acquisition strategy as a whole, we're looking for grade A, you know, businesses that, that we're acquiring that can basically um, fit into our, our overall portfolio. So um, it is very methodical. There's a lot of opportunities that we actually turn down, Yeah. right? So it's this combination of us identifying strong businesses, strong operators, um, but then uh, conversely, them uh, wanting to do business with us. And in fact, a lot of the acquisitions that we've had to date have been kind of off-market deals. Um, so it's not going through a traditional broker route or anything like that. It's just us simply having a good conversation with the sellers and getting a better feel for what they're looking for and then ultimately what we're looking for. Yeah, I, I love that approach because you know, for, for me, that feels like um, what this industry has always been, right? It's always been very entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, it's always been about making um, making deals with people, right? And being able to move quickly. And I think that that agility and that um, ability to be nimble is really important. So I really like that that you all are approaching it that way because I feel like in any industry, as you start to get this consolidation, there's a little bit of like puckering up and going, oh my God, can we please not lose the culture? Like, can, can we please not lose our essence? And I think that um, the more that you see things like what you all are doing at Magnolia, I think the more that... Uh, those those who have been in the industry for a while can be a little bit more comfortable that uh, that essence is not going to go away anytime soon. Exactly. Yeah, we really take pride in our culture. That's something that we we push for. Um, every industry right now is going through challenges when it comes to finding quality labor, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, it's very important that um, you know we take care of our employees, and you know from a compensation standpoint to additional perks to benefits, you name it. Uh, we want to really kind of go above and beyond for our team members. They're the heartbeat of our business. Well, let's so let's go. Let's dive into that just a little bit, um, because obviously, anytime there's an acquisition, right? That's that's scary for the the folks who are working at that specific facility. So you know, new ownership comes in. They don't know what's going on. Like, um, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. Like, what what's going? What's happening? What's your all's approach in terms of when you go through one of these acquisition deals? What's your approach with the staff? How do you tackle that? Yep, good question. So uh, we are really big on having some of those conversations prior to the deal actually closing. Mm -hmm. Now, naturally, some sellers are going to be more open to that than others. But uh, typically, what we like to do is engage their management team first to kind of walk them through the Magnolia model and to reassure them that, again, we're not here to make these drastic changes or to cut personnel or anything like that. 
Um, we're simply here to take a, a strong business and just make it slightly better, right? We've got a, a very robust operating playbook. We've got um, a really amazing uh, training curriculum that our training team has built out. So these are the kind of tools that we can apply to their business. Um, so that's kind of step number one is having some form of conversation at a higher level prior to the deal closing. From there, uh, once we actually officially close on the deal, uh, we, uh, the leadership team and myself and um, some of our, our field operators will actually go to the site day one. Uh, we make sure that everybody is properly onboarded, that they fully understand the new compensation structures, um, which are usually positives for them. Yeah. And then that they also understand the benefits that we offer. So it's kind of this education component as well as making sure that everybody has been officially onboarded onto our new platform. Um, you know, we want to make sure that everybody's getting paid properly and all that good stuff. So that happens. And then from there is when we, um, you know, again, we, we don't want to shock the system or anything like that. So that's when we kind of start identifying some key opportunities mm. and kind of fine tune operations. So, okay. So I want to get into, because, because you, um, do not have, you know, 15 years in the car wash industry mm -hmm. and you were tasked with uh, VP of operations here, you had to, you had to figure out how you're going <laughs> to build the infrastructure, make this thing sing. How much of, how much of this has been really learning from those groups that you all have acquired in the last year? I think a lot, to be honest. Um, I, again, no way could myself or, or Kyle, our CFO, or Forest of Head of Development, we could not have done it without the team that we already had established, as well as the team that we've kind of grown over the past year. Again, these these individuals have just years and years of experience. So a lot of times it was us learning just as much as them. So what we bring to the table is obviously how to effectively scale a business, how to run a, a large multi-unit uh, retailer, uh, how to use uh, different tools, um, IT tools, uh, infrastructure tools, um, different systems and things like that. So that's kind of what we bring to the table. In fact, we actually call ourselves the support team for that reason, right? We are here to support them. They are the business again. So um, yes, there's a, definitely a bit of a learning curve for me. Um, but really at the end of the day, I'm, one thing I, I, I take pride in is identifying individual strong suits. And so I think I did a really good job of kind of um, identifying those individuals that uh, could really accelerate in certain uh, roles. Mm -hmm. And then from there, kind of tapping into their experience to help build out this operating playbook and and the training program that we put together. Yeah, that, that is super important. I mean, it's one thing to have, uh, you know, the, the first step is always get the right people on the bus, but then you got to get them in the right seats, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Okay. So I want to talk, we've talked a little bit about uh, strategy as it comes to acquisitions. Let's talk a little bit about um, what you all are doing in the greenfield space because you can't acquire, I mean, you could acquire forever, um, but it's going to get really expensive, right? So talk to me a little right. bit about what you all are doing on the greenfield side. Yeah, and you're, and you're spot on there. So again, the goal has always been to eventually shift to, to greenfield. We know that acquisition allows us to scale quickly and to kind of establish those nodes, but ultimately it's, it's the greenfields that are going to um, really grow this business. So um, year one for us was really just kind of establishing uh, the pipeline and and getting some sites under construction. So currently, I believe we have seven sites that are now in construction. We just opened our first under the Magnolia brand uh, back in December up in Brimfield, Ohio. Uh, we're actually opening a site this week in Tallahassee and then another site next week in Sandersville. So wow. we're starting to see, uh, to your point, these things come to fruition, which is awesome. It's great to see that. Um, so we have now a whole list of probably 40 plus sites um, that are in the pipeline that are going through permitting as we speak. So the, the goal is to just keep feeding that engine. Mm -hmm. um, 
again, really focusing on the Southeast quadrant, um, our whole uh, real estate and development team, that's their whole background has been in that, that quadrant of the United States. Um, so they know that area very well. Additionally, it's also been um, trying to standardize our, our build format. So yeah. um, depending on the, the size of the lot or the shape of the lot or the traffic patterns, you name it, um, we've uh, figured out the best way from a flow perspective to a tunnel length perspective to the ideal setup to kind of match all these different properties. Um, we are, you know, obviously looking for AA plus properties, but we do know at some point uh, it is going to be slim picking, right? We have a, a ton of competition, not only in our industry, but in other industries as well to, to pick up this land. So um, then there, you know, is basically a secondary strategy, which is uh, to not necessarily go after some of these bigger markets, but go after some of the, the smaller markets as well um, that might only support one car wash. So it's kind of this twofold strategy. Um, we are very data driven. So uh, as part of the site selection process, there's a lot of key uh, demographics data uh, or KPIs that we look for before we even uh, consider, I guess, going you know to the next step of, of site selection there. So let's get it. Okay. So <clears throat> Let's get into brand a little bit then, because I, mm -hmm. I'm hearing you talk about some of the greenfield openings. Um, I know that you have lots of, uh, I mean, 50 plus locations that were acquisitions. What are you all doing from a brand perspective? How are you approaching that? Um, are, you know, is every greenfield going to be under one brand? Are you going to keep all the existing brands? What's the what's the mix? So at a high level, our, our brand stack strategy is uh, based on geography, obviously, and then POS platform. Right. We know it's very costly to convert POS platforms. And naturally, if you have uh, certain brands that are on separate POS platforms, um, doesn't necessarily make sense to to rebrand to one or the other. Um, additionally, we also know that as it stands now, the car wash space is very regionalized. Um, brand presence is really only good at the local level. You don't have these, um, you know, major national brands at this moment, you know, it's not something like a, a McDonald's that has thousands and thousands of sites and everybody knows the brand name. So um, we try to, again, if we're acquiring a, a strong brand and we don't necessarily need to rebrand it, then uh, we like to retain it because that's what the customer base knows. But um, going back to your, to your question on the Greenfield side, we do have our two flagship brands, okay. um, which is going to be the Camel brand and the Wave brand. Um, the Camel brand is going to be mostly in Georgia and Florida. And then the Wave brand is going to be uh, basically from North Carolina. North. So North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia are going to be kind of the, the strong markets for that brand. Okay, great. Well, and, and for those listening, um, this is this is not uh, the Camel Express that you might think of when you think of uh, the Tennessee area. This is a different Camel. So just to just to clarify for everybody at home. Yep, Camel Premium Express. There we go. Perfect. Um, okay, so then the what folks might say right? Ha having heard you say, well, we're going to split it up by POS systems is you guys are crazy. You're missing out on data opportunities. Um, how, how are you fixing that? I know this answer, but for everybody else, how are you fixing that? Yep. So um, one of the things that we're working on uh, is uh, some backend uh, data warehousing. So we've partnered with a, an IT company who's kind of building out the infrastructure. And so this will allow us to take all of this raw data uh, that flows through these POS platforms. And a lot of the POS platforms, the data points are very similar, right? So on the front end, if you're looking at their dashboards or KPIs, it might look different, um, even down to a functionality standpoint. But backend data is very similar, right? So this allows us to basically flow all the data from all of our different POS platforms into one central data warehouse. 
And then from there, using tools like Power BI or some other um, dashboard creation tool, we'll be able to create our own internal reporting that not only our financial team can use, but as well as uh, our operations team. Um, again, we are huge on a KPI or, or data-driven action plans. Um, we really instill ownership down to the site level. So we taught a lot of our, our site managers how to effectively read a, a P&L, right? So that, they wait, that way they know uh, what are the best inputs to drive not only top-line sales, but also how to manage their expenses. So that said, you know, we also understand that there is value of, of consolidating POS platforms, right? Um, in a perfect world, I would love for, you know, uh, customers that use a, a wave site up in North Carolina to be able to use one of our whistle sites down in Tallahassee or um, another site that might be on uh, a completely separate POS platform from those two. So um, we do understand that there's value and it's not to say that we won't uh, eventually convert to one POS platform, but as it stands now, I think we've really figured out a, a good system to kind of manage those different uh, POS platforms and knowing that we have uh, selected one POS provider to kind of move forward with uh, our green fields so that way you know, we're continuing to expand those flagship brands. Yeah. Well, and I mean, at the end of the day, right. Like it's important that you have, you have one for going forward. That's super important. Right. Cause then at least you can build off of that, but really to your point, talking about all the uh, POS systems, all that data, you're capturing the same stuff. So if, if, if you have the patience and the ability to sit there and go through a data, a, a data mapping exercise, right. And say, okay, this is the same as this. And this goes here and this goes here. You can do some really powerful stuff. Um, and and be a little bit platform agnostic, right? So that, and that there's real power in that. That's a whole different conversation. We won't get into that, but um, being platform agnostic can be very beneficial. It can also be challenging to your point about like, well, I can't necessarily have them using different locations, but we talked about this right now. We're super regional, right? And so most customers of yours are not going to be using your wash in Florida and in North Carolina and you know, insert state here. So not, exactly. not a super important problem at the moment. Um, and by the time it becomes a super important problem, you guys are probably making that switch anyway. Yes, exactly. It's it, I would say it's more of a long-term strategy, but you were spot on in the sense that um, there are front end challenges, uh, mostly consumer phasing yeah. challenges um, with using multiple POS, but on, on the back end and, and on the, the data side, uh, I think we've really kind of figured out how to operate across multiple POS. Well, and so let's talk a little bit then about um, what that data enables the business to do, right? So there's, there's, I will talk until I'm blue in the face about customer journeys and uh, being able to like really hone in on that personalization of the customer experience. Talk to me uh, from a marketing perspective, what is this doing for you all? Yeah, so I would say as a whole, um, marketing has somewhat lagged uh, within this industry, right? And, and I think that's what's very exciting is to see that there has been this big push um, really on the digital side, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, in the car wash space. So we're kind of now just entering uh, that part of the curve where you're starting to see some really cool things happening on the marketing side. So by having all this data, um, it allows us to tailor our approach and to basically penetrate new marketing channels. Um, so that way we're engaging with not only our, our current membership base, you know, whether that's, um, and, you know, offering some sort of um, membership incentive or referral bonus program, 
uh, or even having membership events, you name it. There's a whole slew of possibilities that you can do with that. But then it's also to um, obviously tap into our, our retail market as well for those individuals that let's say uh, use our wash multiple times a month, right? That's a perfect candidate for us to say, hey, you know, uh, Mr. Smith, you realize that you're coming to our site three times a month, every month. Uh, did you know you could save money by simply joining our FastPass program? So there's a lot of cool things that we can do with all of that data um, to really, I guess, better engage the customer, not just at the site level, but uh, through other means such as SMS, uh, email, social media. One, um, the, here, here's what's kind of crazy, right? So in a recent, uh, actually the latest ICA consumer study, uh, which by the way, everybody listening, that is now for sale. Um, sorry, shameless plug. What are you going to do? Uh, the, the latest study shows um, that most customers, most consumers don't hear anything from um, the washes in their region from a digital perspective. They haven't received communication. They're not being marketed to that way. And that stays true. That number, it's still a majority of people don't hear from the washes. That number stayed true from the last consumer study that's three years ago. So in three years, time, we still haven't made much progress there. So I think to your point, there is a tremendous amount of runway uh, and space for us to capture market share if we can really get our digital um, and social side of the house in order. Yeah. And I think what's really cool about it is, again, coming from uh, a different industry, still automotive, but you know, on the repair and maintenance side, I kind of saw that transformation play out. Mm. Um, so having some insight into that and seeing how powerful it was and, and uh, beneficial it was to have that that those additional touch points with our customers. That's what I think really excites me um, about seeing that kind of play out in the car wash space. I love that. I love that. Well, before I let you uh, off the hook here, I want to know what's what's the future look like. Where's Magnolia going? What do you guys want to be when you grow up? It's a great question. Um, so at this point, we have no intentions of of taking our foot off the gas. We want to continue to grow. We want to continue to consolidate. Um, so. You know, our goal is to be at, at 300 plus sites within the next few years here. Um, not to say that's an easy feat. Um, we all know that, you know, the biggest players in the space are, are still in the 300 site count. So uh, it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be a lot of work, um, but we're excited to, you know, roll out all the great things that we've created within Magnolia to to other operators as well as, as brand new sites and continue to offer uh, a great product to consumers. Um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of, white space out there. And I think there's still a lot of customers who haven't really necessarily bought into the express wash model, um, whether it's because it's not available in their market or just because they simply don't know about it. Yeah. So um, we're excited to continue to really kind of uh, push in conjunction with, you know, everybody else that's that's uh, uh, heading down this path and, and, and growing in this space. I think all in all, um, you know, by, by us offering this great product, along with, with everybody else is just going to, you know, incentivize more and more folks to just buy into the express wash model as a whole. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of debate around how much room there is. And, uh, I think there's still, there's still plenty. There's still plenty yes. friends. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, well, Andy, thank you so much for spending a little time with us today here on the program. And I really, really appreciate, um, what you all are doing at Magnolia and, and, uh, for sharing just a little bit of your story with us. Yeah. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, if you all are uh, watching this or listening to this, wherever you might be, uh, make sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to us uh, anywhere you're consuming your podcast content or catch um, micro versions of this uh, show at Car Wash Magazine Live. Uh, that's every week, Thursdays at 1130 Central Time. And until we see you again, friends, when you're out there and you're washing cars and you're just killing it, 
There's just one thing you've got to do, and that is keep it clean. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.